Greetings, I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, The Biblical Principles Governing the Eyes. We have been discussing some very heavy things. Well, uh, this lesson is going to explore really the underside the hidden side that God is so concerned about, what, our, what the real problem is when we misuse our eyes. Before I get into that, uh, I'm going to read uh, Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 29. Speaking of a generation being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. And listen to verse 32 of Romans 1. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do it. So the title of this lesson is Taking Pleasure in Unrighteousness. Taking Pleasure in Unrighteousness. So much of the entertainment industry today is based upon giving the viewer the opportunity to vicariously live an alternative lifestyle and do things that they could not or would not consider actually doing themselves. Dictionary.com defines vicariously as felt or enjoyed through imagined participation in the experience of others. That sums up the whole purpose of the entertainment industry right there. That's the whole purpose of the entertainment industry. And that entertainment industry today now includes websites. Websites. How many times uh, have I seen kids trying to copy the things that they do on Dude Perfect? They seem like a decent bunch of guys, and the stuff they're doing is not sin. But how many times do they have to repeat, 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 repeat before that finally they get that one shot? And yet I have watched my own grandchildren try to repeat stuff, you know, the bottle-flipping thing to get it to land whatever. <laughs> where, does it, where do we get that stuff from? Where, do, where does it come from? Right, Because here's the problem. Eventually, things we participate in vicariously, our flesh is not going to be satisfied with the vicarious stuff. Now, the problem is, we can justify ourselves. Well, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Yes. But the whole purpose is... To vicariously, vicariously 
participate in those things. I'm going to read, I'm going to read this one more time. It's very critical. So much of the entertainment industry today is based upon giving the viewer the opportunity to vicariously live an alternative lifestyle and or do things that they could not or would not consider actually doing themselves. And again, the dictionary definition of vicariously, felt or enjoyed through imagined participation in the experience of others. According to these verses that I've read to you, which I'm about to read again, our Father considers vicarious sinning just as damning as actually committing the act. To us, we justify and say, well, I'm not doing that. But when I derive pleasure from someone else doing it because I imagine myself being the one doing it, which is exactly how we identify, whether consciously or subconsciously, The scripture calls that sin. So again, I'm reading, uh, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventor of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, Romans one thirty two, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Not only do they do the same, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do it. Pleasure in them that do them. So again, as I have done many times in these series, this series of lessons, uh, just to fully get the impact of it, we're going to read several translations of Romans one thirty-two. Weiss expanded translation says it this way: Such are those who, knowing the judgment of God, that these these who practice such things are worthy of death not only habitually do the same things, but also take pleasure in those who practice them. Darby's translation says, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that they who do such things are worthy of death, not only practice them, but have fellow delight in those who do them. The Amplified says, though they are fully aware of God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve to die, they not only do them themselves, but approve and applaud others who practice them. Oh, here's the first time it's really gotten to where we live, isn't it? You see, the world says today that Christians are harsh and judgmental because we, we reject their lifestyles. That's not true. True Christians love everybody. True Christians reject nobody. Like Jesus, true Christians hate the sin but love the sinner. True Christians are not damning or judging anybody. True Christians are trying to get those who are involved in things that are demonstrative of their sinful lifestyle out of those things and into Christ. But the world's not satisfied with that, you see. They're not satisfied with us just loving them. Because they say we don't love them unless we approve and accept their lifestyle just like it is. 
But if we do that, we cross God's line and now we approve of that sin. When I say to a person that is doing that which is in this list of things, you're really okay. God loves you like you are. It's okay. You're, you're, those acti- activities are all okay. Notice, notice please. <laughs> Uh, what's not in in here, or what, let, again, what is in here? Fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. Oh wait, wait, wait! Uh, oh, that's that's bad stuff. Envy, envy. Well, there's murder, debate, refuse to acknowledge truth, don't want to hear facts. Just giving it over to something that is uh, the opinion of the world. Deceit. Malinity. How about whispering? Oh, I don't see anything harmful. Oh, yeah. Backbiters. Haters of God. (laughs) The world is no longer really, this culture is no longer neutral toward God. Haters of God, despisers of those that are good. They're despiteful. They're proud. Boasters. It doesn't bother them to shake their fist in God's face. Inventors of evil things. Disobedient to parents. Whoa. Disobedient to parents. The Bible says that's a heaven or hell issue. Being disobedient to your parent is a heaven or hell issue. Who knowing the judgment of the God of they which commit such things are worthy of death. Without natural affection. Without understanding. Covenant breakers. They can't keep their word. Without natural affection. Having unnatural love toward other humans. Love outside the boundaries that God has placed there. Or unnatural love toward animals. Implacable, stubborn, hard to get along with, unmerciful. We used to have some civility in this country, but there's not any civility at all toward anybody. So the Amplified says, though they are fully aware of God's righteous decree, even if they deny it and don't agree with it, that those who do such things deserve to die, they not only do them themselves, why else would they do it? Because they deny. They know God. the word of God says. They know this is wrong. They know it's, that, that it is considered wrong, especially by us Christians. They know that. But they not only do it because they don't believe it's wrong. But they approve of, and they want us to join in that. The Bible in basic English says that who, though they have knowledge of the law of God, that the the fate of those who do these things is death, not only go on doing these things themselves, but give approval to those who do them. And now we have churches and preachers that say, God loves everybody. Everybody's welcome. Well, everybody's welcome here. Everybody's welcome here. But welcoming everybody and loving everybody doesn't mean 
that we have the right to approve of what they're doing that's contrary to the word of God. We don't have that right. And then finally, the New Living Translation. They know God's justice requires those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Wow. Wow. The Greek word pleasure or to take pleasure in is to think well of in common, to assent to, to feel gratified with. So I'm watching someone else committing adultery and I say, I would never commit adultery. Really? Really? But I'm watching it. I'm being entertained by it. Because if I wasn't being entertained, I'd turn it off. I'd walk away. So by sitting there silently and continuing to participate with someone where someone is committing fornication or adultery or some other perverted act, by sitting there and continuing to watch it, I just approved of it. Because if I didn't approve of it, I'd turn it off. I'd, I'd get up. I'd walk away. But we don't do that because that's our entertainment. We take pleasure in that. Theirs concerning this Greek word means to be pleased together with, to approve together. It also means to be pleased at the same time with, to a consent, to agree with. So the church does that? Preachers do that? Christians do that? The world expects us to do that. They want us to say, it, it's okay for you. You're, you're fine. It's okay. Whatever you think you are, whatever you want to live, it's all okay. But I got a problem. When I do that, I've crossed the line and my salvation is now in jeopardy. The word of God says my salvation is now in jeopardy just by giving approval and gaining any pleasure and entertainment from acts that are contrary to the word of God. In our world today, it is not enough for people to just commit sin. They want everybody else to approve of their sins. Why? Because if somebody doesn't approve, they feel guilty and they don't want to feel guilty. So they blame the guilt on you. They don't consider that it's their conscience or that it's God talking to them. Oh, no, no. It's, you know, I don't go to church because the church puts guilt on people. The church can't make anybody feel guilty. No preacher can make somebody feel guilty. If you came, if you didn't come into that service with, with, with buried conviction guilt in your conscience, you, you can't make somebody feel guilty. Now, the Spirit of God and the Word of God might convict you. But that's not me making them feel guilty. That's God talking to them. We are directed to love the sinner. But we must never approve of or allow ourselves to identify with a sin. I can't take pleasure in somebody else's sin. I can't. It's wrong. There are other verses that I'd like for us to cover here. And we'll take a little time with some of these. Uh, just so that you can see that it's not just this one verse in Romans one thirty-two that says this. Psalms 50 verse 16 says, But unto the wicked God saith, What hast thou to do to declare my statutes? 
or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth, seeing thou hatest instruction and castest my words behind thee. When thou sawest a thief, then thou consentest with him and hast been partaker with adulterers. And so the Lord's saying, what are, you, what are you doing speaking my statutes? What are you doing saying that you follow my covenant? Because you hate instruction. You cast your my words behind you. Well, I, I, no, Lord, I didn't do that. Oh, yes, you did. When you saw the thief and you consented with him. And when you partook with the adulterer. Well, I haven't committed adultery. No. But when you watch it. When you allow that act from somebody else to come into your being through your eyes and or your ears, you have taken pleasure in their sin. And Jesus says in the spirit, the Old Testament, he said, what are you doing calling yourself mine? What are you doing preaching my word? What are you doing saying that you and I have a covenant? Because you demonstrate to me you hate my instruction. And you cast my words behind you. You don't let them affect you. And, of course, we again, we say, when did we do that? When you consented with the thief, when you saw him? When you partook of the pleasure of adultery vicariously by watching it? Pretty strong stuff, isn't it? How about consider Proverbs 2, verse 12. To deliver thee from the way of the evil man, from the man that speaketh forward things, who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice to do evil and delight in the frowardness of the wicked. When, When I leave the things of God, I leave the uprightness of God. I walk in the ways of darkness. What is the what is the catalyst for that? What is it that causes that to happen? What is it that produces that? Almost always, it's because it starts with the eye and vicariously rejoicing to do evil and delighting in the frowardness, the rebelliousness of the wicked. How can I be a child of God and participate in that? Oh, God help me. God help you. God help us. God help the church. God help us. And I'm going to say to you again, this video series is not about rules. I'm not saying don't do this, don't do this, do this, do No, no. This is about the principle the guiding principle of the Holy Ghost. And when the Holy Ghost takes these principles and applies them to my heart, they become convictions. And if I haven't let these principles come into my spirit, if I don't believe these principles, then the Spirit of God doesn't have any tools with which to convict me because it is the Word of God applied to my heart and life by the Spirit of God that brings me to the conviction of sin but then brings convictions in my life that says, I'm not doing these things. I'm not doing that. Or I'm not going to, I, I, I'm going to have a a, 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 a a limit to my involvement in these things. And I'm, and 
time-wise. And then my other limit is I'm not watching this. I'm not listening to people talk like that. I'm not going to derive any pleasure from people doing the things that are not of God. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to derive my pleasure from watching and observing people do things that I know are contrary to the word of God. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Next verse, Proverbs 28 and 4. They that forsake thy law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. Whoa. Is that evermore a powerful statement? You want to know whether or not you've forsaken the law of God? Brag on the people that are violating it. Let them be your heroes. Let them be your idols. Yeah. Let them do that. They that forsake the law praise the wicked. And let's twist, just change that around. They that praise the wicked forsake the law. But they that keep the law contend with them. In the spirit, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, wicked spirits in the atmosphere. If I'm truly keeping the law, I, it's not just a passive thing. I have got to, keeping the law will cause me to contend in the spirit world against that stuff. I will pray against it. And I will speak against it in kindness and love to those that God opens the door for me to speak to. Next verse, Isaiah 5 and 20. <laughs> Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent, their own side. Man, that's bad. We mean good. That's wicked. We mean it's pleasurable. Just the terminology of our culture today proves that this generation, that this world, this culture right now, that right now is in this condition. In this condition. Listen to our words. Man, that's unbelievable. Really? Incredible. Really? Really? Our mouths are speaking these things to further demonstrate. It's not just what our eyes are seeing, but it's what our mouths are confessing. Our mouths are confessing that we've so involved ourselves in unrighteousness that we don't call good good and evil evil anymore. We call evil good and good evil. A man kneels down on a football field and the world rails on him? Rails on him. 
But one kneels down, kneels, one kneels down to pray on a football field and the world rails on you. One nailed, kneels down to protest and the world thinks he's a hero. Really? I'm, I'm not implying that I agree with the things he protests against. I do not. But isn't it curious that just a few years apart, if that, one was absolutely ripped to shreds, called all kind of names because he knelt down on a football field to pray, and everybody thought that was inappropriate. But, oh, the world is all caught up with the one who kneels down to protest. Same football field, same position, kneeling. Isn't that amazing? We call one evil, the other good. Now, as a veteran, it's very difficult to see people disrespect the flag and the Star-Spangled Banner. It is very difficult. And you can say, well, you're just an old guy. Yeah, and the reason you got a free, the freedom to do what you do now is because of the old guys that fought in World War One and for, fought in World War Two and Korea and Vietnam, etc. Because of the old guys that gave their lives. That's why you got the freedom to do what you do right now. It's difficult to see that. Again, I I totally am in agreement against those things that he's kneeling for. I'm against those things. I agree with what he's uh, against. I don't agree with the methodology, especially after the world made kneeling and prayer on that same football field such a despicable thing. I mean, let's go, let's be consistent across the board, but we're not consistent. The guy that recognizes the eternal in kneeling, he is the scum of the earth. The guy that recognizes this world and what's going on in this world with this kneeling, he's a hero. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own, their own sight. Because now, those that are the least wise consider themselves the most wise, and they they don't understand anything about God. They don't understand anything about faith. But they consider that evil. That's stupid. It's stupid. It doesn't make sense. You bunch of fools praying to somebody you can't see. <sighs> yeah, say so you're breathing prayer you can't see, or breathing air you can't see. So stop breathing. You don't see it. Why you're breathing it? So the inconsistency there is unfathomable. Next verse, Malik, Micah chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And I said, Here I pray you, O heads of Jacob, and ye princes of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know judgment, who hate the good and love the evil, who pluck off their skin from from off them and their flesh from off their bones. <laughs> Isn't you're ahead of you're heads of Jacob, your princess house of Israel. Aren't you the ones that's supposed to know judgment? 
And yet, the very people that should be calling this world to repentance, that should be living a life that backs up those words. No, no, they're eating, they're feasting off the flesh of those that they're leading. Picking the flesh off the bones. Consuming consuming the resources of those that they're supposed to be leading. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. What are they doing that for? For their own pleasure. Their own pleasure. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Notice the similarities here between this list of things and the list of things from Romans chapter 1, 28 through 32. Notice the similarities. Some of the things are repeated exactly. Some of them are repeated simply using synonymous terms. Notice that. The scripture says in Romans 1 that they that do such things are worthy of death. And here it says the diff- it's a different perspective. In Romans 1 it's talking about those who not only do those things but derive pleasure and give approval to those that do them. They derive pleasure from others doing them doing those things, and they give approval to those that do those things. So Romans 1 is talking about the doers. 2 Timothy 3 is talking about the body of Christ. And notice the timing. Paul said this was going to be the condition of the generation and the culture of the last days. So those things that took place in Romans 1, in fact, You could really say the entire chapter 1 of Romans is talking about the last day generation, the last day culture. You could say that, and it would be accurate. It's not saying that those those things have never applied to any other generation of culture. But 2 Timothy 3, Paul takes those same things he said in Romans 1, and he applies them, he applies them to this generation, to this culture. He does. He does. And he tells the believer, turn away from these things. From such turn away. Don't let these things lead you astray. Turn away from their influence in turning, in, in trying to lead you astray. And these last couple of things, lovers, despisers of those that are good, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, Doesn't that kind of sound like the church world today? Here it is, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. We have, there are Pentecostal churches, and yea, even some apostolic churches, 
that discourage their people from praying in tongues in their services because we don't want the sinners to misunderstand. We discourage our people from demonstrative worship because we don't want the sinners to be uncomfortable. Let me tell you something. If sinners can be uncomfortable, it can be comfortable in your church, then there's no conviction in your church. Then that means there's no power of God in your church. That means there's no God in your church. And there's no love of God in your church. If sinners can be comfortable in your church. If there's no conviction there, if there's nothing in them that causes them to want to repent and be saved, then you have a form of godliness. And you're denying the power thereof. We do not need sinner-friendly churches. We need God-friendly churches. We need places where God will abide, where God will manifest himself, his spirit, his power, his love. And the conviction of sin is the love of God manifested. And there's no greater conviction, uh, manifestation of the love of God than a sinner can experience than conviction of their sins. The love of God that caused the man Christ Jesus to hang on the cross and die in our place. That love of God moving upon a person convicts them of their sins. So, we say that if sinners can come and feel welcome and comfortable, we, we need to treat them kindly. We do. But if they sit in our services and hear us worship and hear our sermons, our messages, hopefully from God, not sermons, and they don't feel conviction, then the love of God's not in our church. Because the, the greatest demonstration of the love of God upon a sinner is a conviction of sins. Convict them of their sins because they can't repent if they're not convicted. They can't be forgiven of what they can't repent of. And they're not going to repent of something they're not convicted over. They've got the conviction of sin is going to let them feel their lostness. But the conviction of sin is also positive. It's not threatening in the sense that conviction of sin says that's wrong. But I love you and I'll save you from it if you'll repent. That's what conviction is. It's not condemnation. It's conviction. And some, when they don't have power, have substituted condemnation of sin for conviction of sin. They're not the same thing. Condemnation is full of threats. Conviction is full of the love of God wooing a person, saying to them, this is wrong. You're in bondage to this, but I want to set you free, and I want to forgive your past. I want to give you a new life. That's what conviction of sin does. The powerless, those that don't have God living, living there, resort to condemnation in some way or the other. Or the ones who are the worst off welcomes the sinner in and says, God loves you like you are. You don't have to change. Everybody here is welcome to look like you are, dress like you are, act like you are, think like you are. You don't have to change to be a Christian. God's going to save you just like you are because that is their doctrine that they can be saved without change. Well, that's not the word of God. It's not the word of God. There's so many other verses, but uh, I've covered enough here. I pray in Jesus' name that the Lord God will open our eyes, the eyes of every believer, and let them see and understand 
that we have an individual personal responsibility to God, to the kingdom of God, to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to every sinner that we would live our, our lives in such a way by the grace of God that God would manifest himself in our midst when we come together in such a way that when the sinner comes into our midst that they would feel conviction of sins and would be brought to a place of salvation by the grace of God, the love of God in action. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, let it be so. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Thank you.